From multiple influential locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Zalavir Nelson Jr., narrative director and writer for many, many games, to discuss bringing influences from other media into games. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Welcome, Zalavir. Hello. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I, 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 in, in the moment, I kind of had an existential crisis spurred by your introduction because everybody was like, hi, I make nice games. And it was, I suddenly just like went out of my body and went, do I make nice games? What's the <laughs> definition of nice games? Can I truly be said to be nice? Uh, it, it, it's, these are all questions that uh, folks should ask themselves, perhaps on a daily basis. And I appreciate that uh, Nice Games Club is forcing people to confront their own mortality and existence in this regard. <laughs> you know, you're the first to mention it in those terms, but maybe that's the, the maybe that's the fear we put in all our guests and just don't realize it. There's two things I look for in a podcast. It is existential fear and good people. And this has one has both. Hey, <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> so I think you all connected via gig. I actually met Zalver um, at uh, Game Devs of Color. Oh, okay. Last year, back when we were, you know, could beat in person. Right, right. Um, it's a great conference too. Um, so jealous. Hear me out. There was like over a hundred people in this room. Yeah. It was. Uh, a humongous health risk, and we just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We didn't. We wanted to talk to you about bringing influences from other media into games. Um, I know that, like, on on Twitter and stuff, you're very active on like the movie that movies that you have watched and uh, things you've learned from that. And we wanted to ask you a little bit about your experiences with that and what we can learn as developers from other things, from other media. Yeah. Yeah, the instant I started to see game development as a and, and creativity in general as a holistic practice, where you get from this album, this one single you listen to, that bad movie you watch on Wednesday night, uh, it instant it exponentially changes the way you can relate to your art. Uh, it exponentially improves the relationship you have uh, with the world. I'd argue because suddenly everything becomes a learning experience, everything becomes an opportunity to see how another medium can benefit your own practice. Yeah. Uh, it's the number one way to become a better game developer is to do things that isn't making games in a mm. lot of, uh, isn't making or playing games in a lot of circumstances. Mm. It's a very odd relationship that I think is going to get picked up over time as our medium becomes more mature and uh has less of a root in a single place because we're already mm -hmm. clearly seeing the influence of video games and other mediums right mm -hmm. from uh full-on albums inspired by video game characters video game noises uh of course the rise of chiptune mm -hmm. to uh comics and movies stuff like dread the 2012 movie uh where People are like, it's the first good video game movie. It's not a video game movie at all. Director yeah. goes on to make Warcraft, which I would argue is underrated. 
Um, I agree. I agree completely. <laughs> nice games club. Now this episode is about how Warcraft 2016 was underrated. <laughs> it was though. I also enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I, I can leave yeah. the three of you alone with that thought if you'd like. <laughs> Bye, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, not at all. It, but this is the exact thing, right? If yeah. we are watching, if we are watching things outside of our bubble, even within of our, our bubble that are not particularly well regarded it gives us this immense basis for creativity that otherwise just is not possible yeah uh, when you only look at the top 10 games in a generation yeah yeah i like too that you um you introduced it not just as um you know uh like the the greatest art that like even the garbage like but it's but it still benefits from influence outside of games right that doesn't mean that you're you're like uh, trying to achieve some higher Maybe that's faint praise. Maybe that's not fair. But like just the way you framed it is just like all games should do this, like regardless of what mm-hmm. your goal is. Right. I, I'd be specific, more specific there and even say just all game developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the There's a massive change in design practice and in the uh, freedom you even have to communicate within a team. If the people within that team have read comics, listen mm-hmm. to music, watch movies. Uh, have gone outside of the top 10 best-selling lists on Steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of even, uh, if you're trying to make a great art, uh, <laughs> the idea of, um, yeah, only trying to consume quote-unquote great art kind of hobbles you in a similar regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm intrigued by Netflix's decision to start showing rankings in its mm-hmm. uh, algorithm. So mm-hmm. if you're browsing the Netflix front page, quote unquote, uh, now they have one section that is objective, and that is just what are the top 10 uh, titles in terms of both movies and TV that is in the United States right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if, if, you're, if, if you're a certain kind of person, um, yeah, you're just going to gravitate towards that top 10, but in uh, in opposition to that regard, you also have this really interesting effect where if you're just like, yeah, I just watch things like this. Maybe I just watch Marvel movies. And you look uh, at Netflix because you're really excited about the next Marvel movie that I add to the catalog. And you see that uh, number three, the number three movie in the United States right now is Love Guaranteed. And the number one series is Cobra Kai. Number four, Smurf. Number six, Sister, Sister, which has been in the top 10 list all week. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> realizing how much like even mainstream taste can differ from mm-hmm. your own is also a valuable lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very true, because I think we get like stuck on, especially like when we're working on games, we get stuck on popular games and we reference popular games a lot of the time. I mean, and it makes sense because like those are the, the references we have uh, for like previous mechanics and things that we've mm-hmm. passed. But I think that like looking at looking at how like games have been kind of separated from a lot of um, popular media, like yeah. in a way that is like very strange, despite the fact that like games are so popular. Uh, like oftentimes people will say, I don't really play games when no one really says I don't really watch movies. Right. Everybody's, you know, most people watch movies every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that comes that's from much with the games. That, doesn't that come from games as a, I think we as as artists who make games, we yeah. lament that fact, but 
I, I there's an I understand it because games is a thing you do, like it's an activity. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. it, like you know I I don't like sports. So when people talk about how like we're like when I see like who won the Kentucky Derby as a a push notification on my phone, I'm like yeah. I'm not other people. I don't need that. Like mm-hmm. but I. <laughs> But I also I make games and I and I do sometimes think like everyone should play games. It's it's part of the culture. It's one of the pillars of media. And it's like, well, yeah. if you don't, that's fine, I guess. But yeah. then, but that leads to then games can just easily eat their own tail because yeah. the, the they they're only about themselves and they're only servicing the people who are into games specifically. And yeah, and that exactly. that constantly makes me nervous. Um, maybe partly because of what Mark was just saying about games having a, maybe a higher risk compared to other art forms and, and media forms of eating its own tail is is the idea of a game maker going out and kind of curating and sponging in a lot of different influences do you think that's more valuable to game makers as artists than it might be for other um for makers of other art forms it's a big I would question absolutely agree with that okay. because when you look at what games do their primary their primary benefit as a medium is synthesis and replication mm-hmm. and most of our development processes do not take advantage of this idea so mm-hmm. synthesis games can take a theme take an overall uh topic subject uh set of even things of influences that we've seen before and synthesize them in a way that by making them active makes them new. Uh, the people over at Rockstar get dinged for this a lot because people are like, you just take a bunch of movie scenes. You just you just took all the Westerns that you saw in the this, this six years and you put them into Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. But on the other hand, uh, whether or not that criticism is valid, we're a medium that does allow for that to feel completely new to millions of people become mm-hmm. the top la- entertainment launch of all time because of being rendered in this new interactive form that um, Mark referred to. Uh, the other major component here is uh, replication, which is I cannot take the sets and flesh suits of the actors who worked on The Godfather and make a totally new film without that being deeply uncanny. It would feel really strange. Uh, furthermore, like if I was to make Godfather two with, through that context, right? Like reusing the same sound effects, musical cues, so mm-hmm. on, it would feel strange and wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but games, I can take resident evil four and use much of the exact same technology and foundation of that. And, make dead space an entirely new distinct experience with a unique creative vision and a uh utterly changed perspective that feels new despite being from something that's clearly the same whether it's the same studio making the same kind of game mm-hmm. or whether it's a different studio looking at what they did and being like what if we did a tweak we're i was about to say we're the only medium but uh this is also true of music which this is a larger topic, but I'd argue we're closer in terms of our work processes and what our medium enables and how our medium works to music than to uh, film, which is what we're often compared to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And got the graphics. Mm-hmm. But 
much like music has sampling in games, we have the ability to take the same exact components and have a complete reconstruction, deconstruction, or offshoot for new creative projects from the same place. And that often gets thrown out the window. And it shouldn't. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I kind of want to like spend a week entirely reconstructing the vocabulary that I use around games to pull from music instead of something else. And I wonder if that, you know, what, how that would influence my thinking around making, you know, iterating and ideating. That's a, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. There's a risk there too, right? Of, of, I mean, it's the thing about games eating their own tail is like, uh, everything a lot very frequently especially big triple a games to tend to feel like remixes of other games and that there i think it's easy to be cynical about that and i am cynical about that but i could i could see the benefit right of of that kind of of making things new from existing parts but that there has there has to be room for something other than that right yes it is called Doing new things. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me write this down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a, I have a seminar about it. It's 1999. It will change your life. In all seriousness, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have, I, I, I'd argue that there's a lot that, like, it, it's nearly impossible to get away from doing things that have been done before in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, the, the the this 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 concept in games of uh, not being remixes of ourselves, having a uh, ability to bring something new from the same foundation, often doesn't come from the tool the the tools that are in use, yeah, but from the creator perspective that uh, is presented. And one of the major reasons why I think this feels so endemic in AAA. Uh, despite Call of Duty being a perfect example, Call of Duty has massive system and mechanical level revisions and structural level revisions between every game. Mm -hmm. It is genuinely stunning to go through that uh, back catalog, even to the first games and up till today, today, everything made after Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4 and see, oh, they're actually doing massively different things. Same with uh, Assassin's Creed, but because those games are released yearly, like Assassin's Creed was at a certain point, everybody's like, "Yeah, it's just it's just the same. It's just the same. <laughs> it's the same thing." I have a gun still. Why do I still have a gun? And <laughs> yeah. I can I can get that. That's that's valid. Yeah. Uh, but also completely wrong. It ignores all of the huge things that are occurring behind the scenes. But because these are yearly franchises that often do focus at least in terms of the approach of their publishers or studios in terms of scrubbing away the individual perspective of developers involved. Mm. um, We recognize them as a congealed homogenous mass rather than what they are, which is distinct creative productions coming from a similar perspective. And I, for that exact case, I would raise up Vlambeer. Vlambeer over the years has made a lot of, pretty damn similar games when you look in terms of their execution and everything else. Mm-hmm, but because yeah. they take the, whatever influences they have, take whatever technology they have and they have, and they center this unique perspective they bring to the table every time it doesn't particularly, it it's, doesn't feel like loose is the same as playing nuclear throne, 
Uh, and even if it did for you, it doesn't particularly matter because the individualism of that experience is fronted because of the di- the diverse amount of stuff and the uh, the synthesized creative perspective of the people involved in building those things. That's really interesting. That I think that hits on what is interesting about th- this topic because because yeah, like AAA games, they feel samey even though they are probably because they have the most people working on them and probably the most research mm. gone into them mechanically, they might have even bring the most new ideas, but they still feel samey. And, but I, it might be a literacy issue because you hear, I, I, you hear uh, people who don't love indie games who are like, n- who don't give them the time of day. A common complaint is, well, all indie games are the same, right? They're all just like little platformers and they have like some silly story idea or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but, Th- this is the dimension on which those things are 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 different, right? It's um, about like the the approach and the overall structure and meaning. But if you're a gamer who is in it for the the play and the play alone, you might value something different than what your your advising developers bring to their work. And I, I would I would make the argument that even for the audience who doesn't care about that, the you make the game better for them even if they don't know it. Yeah, there, there's yeah, I, I, there's there's a really good point there in terms of this is why you'll see a lot of games at least marketed in terms of something you know, but different. <laughs> so because as much as we seem to prize individuality, a huge amount of our uh, what we define as popularity, which Netflix originals kind of demonstrated really earlier uh, early on in this sort of modern streaming news cycle, was you know. Uh, people really love something new that they uh, connect with. Like if they if it's new and they do connect with it, it's going to be genuinely market and life changing. But you know what people like as much, if not more, on a much more consistent basis? Something they've seen before. <laughs> so yeah. you have Netflix uh, hiring creators who have done a type of thing and being like, hey, Ryan Murphy, do your weird bullshit, but for us. <laughs> and he comes in and he does his weird his weird style of thing, but for Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the Wayans brothers. Uh, uh, I think it's Damon Wayans in particular right now. Who They're like, hey, Damon Wayans, do some Wayans stuff. And he does some Wayans stuff. It's, there's, 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 there's a difference. There's, there's some new stuff that happens. But Stranger Things hailed as one of the most, legitimately one of the most influential pieces of modern uh, streaming television media, it's something you've seen before with one little twist. And you see that same effect happening in games, often the presentation of novelty combined with the familiarity. I love first-person shooters, but, oh man, here's a portal gun. It's portal. It's it's a totally different perspective on something I already love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a... It can be both a... Uh, a disturb a, a a a cynically uh disturbing uh road to success as well as potentially at least for, as, as far as speaking as my own practice a creatively enticing um invitation to do to look at already covered material especially in indie there's so much fear around doing something that's been done before mm-hmm. oh man someone else has already told an emotional story with low poly characters Yes, that entire genre is dead. Uh, looking at that, at that 
thing with this range of creative influences that have uh, affected you, the amount of personal experience you bring to the table, realizing that you uh, realizing or at least uh, creating a situation in which you are not a part of the homogenous mass and then saying, you know, if I made this exact same type of game, it would be different. This is what's this is what's new brought to the table by my perspective, by my practice, by the technology I'm using. And uh, seeing that as a valuable thing, it's a context shift like anything else. And context yeah. shifts are what make gaming go round. Oh man, I love that you brought that up too, because that's something we preach on this show all the time. Is that like, if you make the exact same, if you try to make the exact same thing that somebody else has done, it's going to be different because you are working on it mm-hmm. and you have your own unique spin on it, even if you don't realize it. Um, so I love that you brought that up. And I think that also, um, what you're talking about here reminds me a lot about iteration too, just basically, uh, you know, taking the thing you've made before and trying to improve on it or, change in a way that might make it different or better um and i think that like mirrors a lot of how um game development tends to work in the in the back end too i think there's an intriguing component here of i think you can see this individually in 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 creators careers as well mm-hmm. um yeah especially and sometimes it happens on the same project because human beings mm-hmm. remain static for a certain period of time, but no, not much longer than that. We're, we're constantly changing in reality and the more time that goes on, the larger those shifts become. So when you see a creator spending six years on a game, like it's, or, or a small team spending six years on a game and then releasing it, you'll see a lot of the pain from that process. Part of it comes from being in the same creative space for six years, being able to still occupy and iterate from the same basis for six years. You'll see in terms of creators making sequels to their own work, a Mm -hmm. difficulty to capture that magic box of where they were, who they were, and how they did it uh, all over again. Uh, And and this is part of why I I do advise and, and advocate so hard for replication. Be like, yeah, ship your game, ship your games, ship your games faster, make, make them smaller scale. Uh, but also consider for your next thing, not doing a sequel, but like something that is functionally similar, but has an entirely different perspective because mm-hmm. your perspective has changed over time. Let's be real. Yeah. And if your work shows a significant change, uh, if when you next go to, um, if when you're next going to uh, play to create a given project, you don't do the sequel to let's say the uh, top down shooter you did before, but it's like, what if you did this, but a different theme, something not just to shake it up for the players, but also to shake you up, to give it, make it just different enough for you to be able to apply your new perspective, the new things you've learned in the interim to this topic. I think it, it, it in fact, just like on the, how the front end, the mixture of the familiar and the new mm-hmm. makes something completely new for people. For creators, it can be that little bit of, what if we just made this just, quote unquote, what if we just made this space themed instead of fantasy? And seeing mm-hmm. how significantly that changes a process and a project, it's it's valuable for the creators too. One, uh, one studio that's put out a game, I think I've played almost almost every game that they've put out 
Um, but I feel like they they take that advice. I'm not sure if you gave it to them. And they're just following it, or they stumbled upon it on their own. But super giant, um, because with the potential exception of Pyre, uh, it seems like their games do kind of iterate on some some consistent aspects. Um, the art style can sometimes feel similar. The way that you're looking at your character seems similar. Um, the combat can really, really change though. And then like the style of storytelling is and, and the stories themselves are very, very different from like Bastion to Transistor and Hades now is uh, I think in early access or it's still in development. It's um, It's been really interesting to kind of play each of their games as they come out because they do seem to come out every few years, pretty regularly, not too long between releases. And there are familiar elements in there, but lots of new, lots of new things as well. And it, as a player, it is really captivating um, and exciting because I know I've liked all of their games so far. I'm excited to see what they'll do next because I know it will feel really different. But I also know it will feel like a super giant game. It builds on itself. They're they're, they're mm-hmm. one of the studios who build on their previous work in the most effective way mm-hmm. uh, that I've seen in this medium because three out of four of their games have been isometric action games. But uh, you can see from Bastion, they have the initial base of isometric combat and switching weapons. Mm-hmm. In Transistor, they had the idea of applying similar effects to the same weapon and having exponential change based off of the things you apply to it uh, and uh, those things interacting with each other. And now in Hades, their most successful game to date, uh, which is about to come out of Early Access you've got a game in which you switch between multiple weapons, which have different capacities, and all of those weapons have modular effects, which uh, ping-pong off of each other uh, over the course of... But as applied to a roguelike run. So Mm -hmm. you take a blessing from a god uh, when you're using... uh, And a blessing from a different god, and and it's the exact same effects, but those feel totally different as when applied to the bow play style as opposed to the hammer. Mm-hmm. And even if they aren't reusing the same technology, because they're using the same operational knowledge as a team across mm-hmm. these games, they can build that stuff and smash their, their own work together and tear it apart and remix it mm-hmm. in far more consistent and faster ways than anyone else could who's trying to, if someone else was trying to make Hades. Mm-hmm. And they get to bring one of the one of my favorite uh, roguelike games I've ever played, maybe the best one I've ever played to life. As a result, mm-hmm. it's wild, you know. And it's interesting because, like, I can see I can see genes, I guess, from Pyre in there as well. Like, you can see how they learned on thing, how they learned from their previous experiences, and how they're taking that forward. But they are absolutely trying something new. <laughs> Speaking of Twitter, at, did we just talk about who Twitter? Is, who is speaking of Twitter? <laughs> I am. I'm speaking of it now. Stephen, you're editing this episode. <laughs> you can put it in wherever you want. That's true. Oh, I can. I am editing this episode. I can put this wherever. Well, at any rate, uh, <laughs> Twitter is cool. Um, Dale is cool, and Dale does our, our Twitter, Nice Games Club. Um, and you can follow us at Nice Games Club. Uh, a recent tweet that Dale uh, posts on there was a friendly reminder to not to include uh, the post launch period in your budget. Most of the things that Dale posts are silly, but, but some of the things that are, Dale posts are informative and interesting and valuable for game devs like us. So we uh, have those retweeted as well. And so if you'd like to 
get all of these fun, fancy insights, um, you can follow us on Twitter at IceGamesBook. So it's not just frog cats, but also game dev tips. Yeah. <laughs> At Nice Games Club. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I, I like that, like, we're talking about this in that direction, too, because I think this this also is uh, mirrored in other medium as well. Like, I think that, like, um, you can see this from, like, directors' movies over time. Like, they oftentimes will be chasing after the same thing. I think that that one movie that came out with... Um, uh, the old white guys. I'm sorry, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, the Irishman. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of movies with old white guys. I'm glad you. <laughs> Can you be more specific? I, um. <laughs> Irishman is a perfect example because yeah. it's Martin Scorsese making yes. a thing with the same people who he's been making it with yes. for years. Yes. Uh, and it turning into a real existential uh heck of a thing because he's been making the same thing and he's aware mm-hmm. enough of a creator to uh. To, to talk about his own work through his work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, like those kinds of examples, you can see that trace throughout, I think like developers or developers, uh, directors, um, movie history. That's really interesting. That's right. Martin Scorsese is mm-hmm. an example. I, everyone, you know, has their own opinion on, on movies and, and his work in particular, but like, mm-hmm. I, I like him as a director quite a lot, but I hate all of his most Martin Scorsese movies. Like the Irishman did nothing for me. Because it was just like, it was just vanilla Martin Scorsese. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think those, those movies that he does that, that feel like his core canon, which don't speak to me at all, I think those inform his more interesting work that I am a fan of. And so I, I try to remember that like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rhyme and reason to it, even if parts of it are not for me. But I know it, it, what you'll usually see is, oh, sorry, I was just going to say what you usually see is like for Scorsese in particular, which is I've used this as an exact example. So which is how I was able to identify well, the Irishman. That's the old white <laughs> dude you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the he will usually make one or two. He'll make basically two movies on a theme and then he'll move on, mm-hmm. even if there's years between them. So the king of comedy, which is one of my, my, my favorite uh, pieces of work in whatever genre it is. Uh, is the movie right before that was Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taxi Driver came out and they, if you look, I watched these two movies back to back. They are so dang similar in their terms, in their teams, in their execution. But the King of Comedy is an exponentially more interesting movie uh, and also wouldn't have been possible because Taxi Driver exists. Uh, they made Taxi Driver. They got really famous. They were like, wow, fame. They experienced parasocial relationships before we had a term for that. And they were like, wow, fame is messed up. Uh, the very concept of it is messed up. <laughs> and then they made The King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a prime example of the production processes of film are such that you can have people, directors, uh, artists, and creators in that, in that sphere make things within the span of, even if there's a long period of pre-production, 
or funding raising, which which can last from a, a brief period of time to decades in the case of the new Bill and Ted, mm-hmm. uh, they can actually they actually shoot within a period of usually around three months. Mm-hmm. Even in terms of a Marvel movie, you're looking at like for all the scale of that, they shoot within nine months, they make the entire thing within about two years. And that gives them the freedom to run on a theme and then switch to another theme while still bearing all of the lessons of the past. Well, Stephen yeah. was saying earlier, like that um, you make the same thing that someone else makes and it's different because it is you're the one making it. But likewise, uh, this is what um, musicians, filmmakers and game designers get into this problem where they try to re- replicate their success. Uh, they are not that same person anymore. They're a different version of themselves. And so you can run into trouble by trying to bring another version of yourself to it and not being open enough to who you are now. Um, having grown and learned and failed and all of that along the way. Like your Scorsese example is example of, 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 it, of, it, of it working the way it's supposed to. But there's plenty of examples where people just tried to make the same thing again without, as if they were that person who made the first one. I was just on a game development cycle that had this happen in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, Frog Fractions 3, which is technically Frog Fractions 4. Uh, it's now public knowledge that Frog Fractions 3 is hidden inside of Frog Fractions 1, the HD collection that just came to mm-hmm. Steam. If you buy a cosmetic hat DLC uh, and wear it, uh, the little frog starts with the hat and then things get weird. Uh, and I was, I've been. Uh, consulting on that project for uh, since around its inception. Um, and one of the big things that we talked about throughout that process was still hiding it within, like even hiding it within the bones of Frog Fractions 1, uh, Jim isn't the same person who made Frog Fractions 1. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's got he, he's got this base experience he didn't have before. He's made things that weren't that before he's picked up new interests. He's uh, gotten married, had a kid. There's a polar personal change vectors of what makes him happy or what his id or what his id or what chaotic even means to him, which has evolved so much since frog fractions one while people are calling for frog fractions one. So what do you do? The thing that he ended up doing and that I'm really glad that um, folks, including myself pushed him, um, to allow himself to do throughout the process was be honest with that and not try to do Frog Fractions 1 again. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, if you make Frog Fractions, especially something so idiosyncratic like that, and try to get the magic again, just do the ping-ponging. If you, it does not come from the same uh, internal place, then it, it, it falls apart. It's like a bad tribute band of your own work. And um, I think independent developers in particular know the pain of not living up to yourself and the fear associated with that. Yeah. Yeah. But like that reminds me, though, of like when you brought up like, you know, uh, bands that, you know, are former versions of themselves, like oftentimes when I don't know, ACDC or whoever, I don't listen to rock go on tour <laughs> um they like will play the same hits that they you know everybody wants to hear they don't get to 
they don't make their own. They oftentimes will not like play their own original music, or they won't very frequently when they're you know. Here's one from the new album to to waves of booze, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So like, I think in the other like from a from a player perspective, I think a lot of people do want that. I know. I think it's important that you you are true to yourself and true to the changes that you have you know made over time. But I think that players feel differently because like you know there, there's a lot of um aspects of game development that they don't that are hard to understand and that they don't understand um play freebird <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes well you know the way that that uh musicians in particular who hate playing their hits from 20 years ago but have to to feed themselves a lot of times they get around it by doing new arrangements bringing on new mm-hmm. instrumentation uh, yeah. uh doing something interesting and unique with it stretching it just enough to make the crowd happy but that exact thing that you were mentioning earlier which is that familiar but a li- but so- new but different um and the people who can do that well are you know good for them cuz then they can feel they can actually feel creative and 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 actually make something new uh while sort of uh, fulfilling both of those things but it is interesting to hear a version of a song from 30 years ago performed by the original artist that sounds different enough and then you you like oh because it reflects who they've become as as an artist mm-hmm. there there's a there's a specific way in which this has occurred in games which i would love to draw y'all's attention to if you haven't ever heard of it are you familiar with the destiny one song made by paul mccartney hope for the future yes vaguely <laughs> are you aware that it has five distinct arrangements by what i believe are five different creative teams I mm, did not more than I had guessed. <laughs> wow. Hope for the future at the time of its creation uh, was, I'm looking for the, yeah, it has, so you have hope for the future. There's hope for the future, hope for the future thrash, hope for the future beat session mix, hope oh. for the future jaded mix, and hope for the future mirror mix. And I don't know if this how intentional this all was, but it's a fantastic example of what you cited here is like, okay, Paul McCartney doing a destiny song. God bless him. Uh, what does that look like as cast through five different prisms? Yeah. And it gets wildly different. It gets strange. The thrash, the thrash mix, it bangs. I bopped to it. And I'm like, what am I bopping to? And I check the place. It's like, oh, it's hope for the future. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Embrace the hope to the future of your own medium. Like what is, yeah. what is the, what is the remix of yourself or of someone else that will spark joy? Yeah. I want to, those, that's a question I'm really interested in finding right now. If we're making mm-hmm. games on timelines that enable us to sort of noodle around on those things within period of, uh, one to two years, I think that there's a really interesting space to explore that. Mm-hmm. And like the vector yeah. to do it is, and I think we've been circling it this whole time is like, it, it isn't always about the new technology or the new mechanic. It's those influences. There's so much more that should inform those creative choices. And it, it can be frustrating when developers will, you know, uh, this game, but that game rather than this, but that. The more influences you have in you, the more your art will, by necessity, by like just inherent uh, effect, 
change. And that is why actually one of the most terrifying things to experience is a band, for example, let's use band as a more existential term. Uh, when a band can play their hits perfectly after 30 years, mm -hmm. that means they haven't absorbed new things. They haven't become new people. If they are playing the exact same music, it gains a sensation of the uncanny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in 30 years, I want to have not just seen things that made me different, listened, watched things that made me different, but done things that mean um, I have both the, uh, the freedom and the sad goodbye. That means I can't make the same thing I made anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's one reason why one of the projects I'm working on right now, Dog Airport game, I'm kind of looking forward to shipping it because it is the type of game and it does have the type of passion around it in terms of its audience where I can make it, I can noodle on it for another couple of years and have it come out and try to be a hit or whatever else. But also, if I ship it very soon, I get to say goodbye to it. I get to uh, create post-launch content for it. I get to see even in a few years because like we can... We could do post-launch updates now. I could even see in a few years on a free weekend being like, what, what would it feel like to make some new NPCs for Dog Airport game and have those into the game and have the community receive those? There is a... The priority for my process right now is looking at all of the mediums and influences we have, including how those influences come to and, change and alter the melting pot of ourselves. And trying to find the ways in terms of production, in terms of creativity, in terms of medium that allow uh, me and the folks around me to take advantage of that ability. Uh, I want to be the best, most different version of myself in, in, in a positive ways, right? Yeah, yeah. In one year. Yeah. And I think it's really easy not to be to have the freedom to do that if you're working on a project, if in one, two years, I'm only midway through my current project and I have to stay in the same creative place. Yeah. You hear that, Stephen? Release vengeance already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've been working on the same game for seven years now. But like, I think that vengeance is the same thing. And also the way that we've been working on vengeance, frankly, is the same way. Like, um, I mean, we have been working on it for seven years, but it's changed so much over those seven years. It used to be a mobile game that like people would pass their phones around and play on. Um, and now it's like a, a four If people pass around a phone, they all get COVID and they yeah. right. blame you. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it's not possible anymore. <laughs> That's why we changed it uh, six years back. We knew COVID was coming. Uh <laughs> you knew? <laughs> no, I Nice I games too. club, more like nice, not telling us about the future club. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. Yeah, Stephen, how could you? Steven. Uh, <laughs> this has changed dramatically. Um, <laughs> but like the way that Vengeance has changed, like also works with, and the way that we work on Vengeance too, and like how we oftentimes will like come back to it over time. Like mm -hmm. we don't, we have like spurts of like a lot of, like a lot of work on it uh, where we'll like, you know, put in a bunch of things. Oftentimes it's like new content and stuff. Um, but then, like, we'll stop working on it a lot for, like, months. And then we'll come back to it again. We'll add new content and change a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. that we feel makes more sense now than we did in the past. And I think that, like, Vengeance as an overall 
dang, I wish we, we had different builds from like past years and stuff because Vengeance as an overall process has changed because our team has changed. Yeah, that process is similar as Oliver is describing, but rather than yeah. releasing the game and, and, and <laughs> right. new games, it's, it's internal. So it can be expressed different yeah. ways. So like, you know, David Bowie reinvents himself for every album, but still feels like David Bowie. But Tom yeah. Petty makes another bunch of songs that could have been released in 1987, but they still feel new and fresh. Like yeah. it, it's not, there's no one way and, or like super giant puts out these games that have this lineage, but then you have like platinum games, which makes pretty much the same thing, like mm -hmm. even more so, but that's, but they still learn and evolve and grow. I think right. opinions can vary, but it, so it doesn't, yeah. ha it doesn't have to express itself in the world in the same way. And this is not just me just being charitable to you and the fact that yeah. vengeance isn't out, but please release vengeance. Um, <laughs> But right, it's not, there's not one, and that's the whole point. There's not one way to do anything, right? Yeah. There's healthy ways to do things. There's smart ways to do things, depending on your goal and your, you know, whatever. But there's not one way. Yeah. Do, do y'all ever think about this in terms of, as far as like the negative example of this, do y'all think about the, ever think about this in terms of like the half-life to uh, development cycle slash debacle? Because when you look at all the documentation for that, which is, notoriously deep um mm -hmm. they made essentially three to four different types of games and threw them all out before we have the half-life 2 that we that we got now yeah sometimes i think about how much of that going in circles spinning around the same thing comes from only absorbing or focusing on a certain amount of things or off of a internal team change like if if you have a static petri dish environment and you drop one new thing inside the entire thing changes again and i right. i, I kind of wonder about how much development site yeah like how much how valid would it have been for valve to have made and shipped the first version of half-life 2 mm -hmm. what would that what would that look like what would games look like um what how much of long-term game development how things are based off of folks trying to, to only make something on a certain set of influences for a certain amount of time instead of like the 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 healthy version of this is like yeah. how much has vengeance's continued momentum and progress healthily been affected by allowing that stuff to iterate behind the scenes and taking in new things over time instead of playing the same three chords and hoping that something new will come out uh, that you'll discover a fourth chord uh, while playing the same three chords for six years. Yeah. I mean, the game has gotten... it's. It, I think it's at its best version of the game now because of all of the things that we've done to improve it and change it. And, like, we've we've made massive changes to things. Like, uh, uh, I mean, we can... I, I don't want to go into all the history of, like, <laughs> of the game, but, like, there's just been a lot of, like, massive changes that makes... that. Uh, to get to where we are now and that has been due to like all of the different things um and like to be to be honest i tend to be the person um who like fights against changes because like i don't know i don't want to do more work <laughs> but <laughs> but like it um uh, i think that like we've made i think that the changes we've made have often very often made the game better as a result of that and like me fighting against those changes is also me like recognizing what worked in the past and trying to acknowledge that and trying to push us towards a direction that will uh, make the game better, but not just different. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so like mm. that that back and forth that like me and my my team has working on the game um makes the game better as a result of that. Um and like me changing and me realizing that the the past me was like this thing should stay the same whereas like future me is like no this is that doesn't make any sense this doesn't really matter in the long run. Things like that um be, makes the game morph into something more as the result wow that was a lot of words but <laughs> well you have to be it's a there's production realities like yeah. when we were working on widget satchel uh right. you know i was really really we've made this decision the decision was yeah. made i don't yeah. care if we changed our minds we have to get this game out and that's right. a that's in service of a production reality right that's mm-hmm. at, at at the risk of a, of creative uh flourishing right yeah and so you have to balance those things the trick is, is you want to be Half-Life 2, you don't want to be Duke Nukem Forever. Right. Right? Good point. Very good point. Yeah. And, and it, how, it's hard to know which one you are, right? Mm-hmm. While you're in it. Un- unless your name yeah. is Duke Nukem, uh, in which case, I, I have bad news for you, bud. Someone made that choice for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, think, imagine if that game came out when it was originally scheduled to and, like, and was as gross and regressive as it ended up being 100 years later. like. Imagine and but it stayed in the zeitgeist. Imagine what would have what could have happened if they then made a, f- a fifth one and a sixth one, and then maybe it actually grew with the industry. Not that I, I mean, I'm happy Duke Nukem is out of our lives. I'm very happy of that. But like, but things grow when they're exposed to light, you know. So like, I, I, I do kind of wonder. I mean, there's not a lot of hope for that. But I'm just imagine that ultimate universe, like you're saying, imagine the universe where they did release the first version of Half Life Two. What would be different? That's true of like of famous disaster projects too. Could those creators have learned and made something better? Could they have you know uh, grown as artists? And could we, as a, a, a with our critical eye, have have uh, contributed to the 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 understanding and literacy of the industry by having more things in the world to look at? Um, really, you know, I mean, that's just another indictment against the secrecy of this uh- industry, but. I I will always mourn the XCOM FPS mm. as much as we as we love the current version of of XCOM that has come around uh, by Firaxis. Right before that, they announced the FPS that was being made by Two K Marin and, and company, and uh, it was drawing from so many different places. Mm-hmm. It was drawing from the cold Cold War fifties paranoia. It was drawing from previous stuff the team had worked on like Bioshock. It was drawing from so many dang uh, influences and places and things. Uh, it wasn't allowed to come to the, to come to light in the version it was, it was, they were forced to noodle. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they went through the, that, that tortured development process and ended up releasing uh, a deeply interesting, but also compromised uh, third person shooter uh, tactics hybrid. And the version that captivated me when I was younger of that thing of XCOM, before I'd even known what XCOM was, that was my first introduction really to the series outside of knowing that, hey, there's a really, there's a really popular tactics game that, that old people talk about. It's where there's aliens. And Sid Maya designed it as something. Uh, and seeing that and seeing and seeing that version of the game die i think a lot about dead versions of games things that are presented that we only see the tip of yeah. or that uh we never get to see it all because it's buried behind internal you know 
game dev secrecy. Uh, I just think about that a whole lot and how our medium is the worst for those things existing. If only so we can look at them, look at the total amount of things in the world and make things based off of that. It, mm-hmm. it is hard to make games or make good creative work based off of a single medium when most of the things in that medium are, are have already, before they come to you, been winnowed down mm-hmm. by the uh, seas of fate. Um, yeah. When a hundred game, when a hundred, when this is a number, uh, when a hundred games have been in development and we only get 10 of those are, you can't learn a whole bunch from just playing video games because you only got 10 of the hundred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about that a lot. This is where film is an advantage because unproduced scripts are available. Movies that are announced and in production get talked about in trade magazines publicly, even if they never see the light of day. Canceled games. Music has demo tapes. Yeah. Yeah. But canceled games just disappear and people can't even put them on their resumes. Mm -hmm. You can find sketches like practice sketches from some of the most famous painters. It's part of the part of the catalog of work that historians have gathered where you can see, okay, yeah, this is a this is a sketch that this person did during this period in their life when they were working towards doing this particular portrait that ended up being very famous. And you can even do analysis of the paintings themselves where they did other paintings underneath and then they painted over the top of that. Like you have all this history, but yeah, we don't really have that for games. I I I I haven't really had the chance to say this much before, but I do want to have it on the record as far as like what I how I make things. The thing that made me a better storyteller for video games was reading comics. Mm-hmm. I I was one of those those children growing up who was like, I don't read comic books with I don't read things with pictures. Yeah. I read the picture of Dorian Gray and Optin Sinclair's <laughs> The Jungle when I'm far too young for that. And I thought it was going to be about an actual jungle, like the Jungle Book. But actually, I learned about the abuses of the meatpacking industry in Chicago. Yeah, uh, that's good. That's also good. Also a valid thing. At the age of 10, wasn't the most relevant thing I could have or should have been learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Try coming me. to comics, a medium that I had explicitly disdained, and then saying, what is this medium doing? Who are the people doing things there? What are the things that speak to me here? How does this medium operate? How can it be applied to my experience elsewhere? That made me a better creator. Listening to, I didn't used to listen to music really until I got deep into not just making video games, but especially being in leadership positions for games. If I'm not having influences piped into me and listening to things that, even people on my team care about that I necessarily I have dismissed in the past. The common thread here is when I dismiss other mediums, I was always wrong. When I dismiss mm-hmm. other creator or creations and things, I was almost always wrong. <laughs> uh, because every single one of those things that I absorbed and took into me led to the person who I am now and the things I can make now that a previous version of me couldn't because of that dismissed attitude, because of that limited range of experience. One of the reasons why you'll see work by children and teenagers is so uh, limited and not great is because they have, they, they, they read Harry Potter and that's it. And then they're like, I'm going to do a dark, gritty crime story. And it's very clear that they 
saw Sin City by Robert Rodriguez, and they 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 happened to sneak into watching that, or they what they managed to get an access to Netflix Unguarded, and they watched Frank Miller's Sin City, and they've seen Harry Potter, and they just put those two things together, and that's so limited. And at the very least, when you have so much to draw from, when you have so much that is in you. It makes theft so much harder to detect. And that is, I think, something we can all advocate for. <laughs> is getting away with it. <laughs> Steal more frequently. <laughs> I like that. It brings back yeah. that talk that you did at the Game Devs of Color. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Asset. Reuse everything, especially yeah. other people's things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Creation itself is a myth, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's all it's all about combination, right? Creation yeah. and, and combination. Make make new things, make old things. Maybe it's the same thing. At a certain point, we don't know anymore. We just make nice games. Please don't sue us. <laughs> That's an excellent thesis to end on, I think. Yeah. I think so, too. <laughs> so one other thing we always try to close with is, where can people find you on the internet? And what kind of things are you working on now? Uh, I'm making a lot of really cool things. Uh, foremost among them, uh, Things like Skatebird, uh, which is coming out in 2021, and an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, which is coming out in is current planned to come out in 2020. Uh, currently, uh, the place where folks can find me, as well as horrible puns and uh, <laughs> jokes of varying levels of quality, is at Brit Nelson on Twitter. W R I T Nelson. Uh, I've and I've got a Patreon, but it isn't particularly relevant. I'm uh, stoked to be here, and it was an honor to chat to uh, you nice games folks. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, well, really that. appreciate you having you on. You want to do the outro one? Yeah, sorry. I thought you were saying something. No, I was and You done. were, and then I, yeah. This is, this is why I wish we could record in person again. Yeah. But Stephen didn't tell us about the pandemic, so here we are. <laughs> well, oops. <laughs> <laughs> You, you learn for next time, next pandemic. You just keep us in the loop. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you'd like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. That's you. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show. Head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and petting dogs in Crusader Kings 3. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, just say hello, or ask Stephen when Fengeance will be out. Don't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll record the last one. Okay. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Keep it in. I, I thought it was a really good one, but also, I'm watching the Vengeance uh, trailer now, and it's rad, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice and make other people's stuff. <laughs> make other people's stuff, <laughs> yeah. but different. Legally distinct from, but yeah. <laughs> What if uh, it was called Legally Distinct Games Club? (laughs) If I heard a a podcast start with, I'm Ellen Burns Johnson and I make Legally Distinct Games instantly, (laughs) I have so many questions, I'm pulled in, this is a mystery I need to unravel.
<laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.